Thanks so much, Peggy. It is just so helpful to have the Bible read well and uh, with clarity and, and emphasis just helps us to, to hear God's Word as it's meant to be, God's Word to us. Um, so thank you so much. Um, this morning, uh, we're thinking about hiding reality and we're living in a society that's really quite good at that. Um, we live in the age of Facebook and Instagram and uh, so you've got to work out what image you want to present to the world. And apparently one of the big things at the moment is dental veneers. I don't know if you felt this wave of interest, but apparently the sales of dental veneers, this is not actual sort of replacement of teeth. This is just where you put a front, a, a covering over the tooth to make your, your smile look good. And apparently they've shot through the roof. One woman spent $1,500 on getting veneers for 10, sorry, $1,500 a tooth for 10 teeth. Because she saw her face on Facebook and realised she wasn't smiling because she was embarrassed by her teeth. And so she felt she needed to get something to cover that over so she could present the right front to the world. Uh, We live in a culture that loves to hide reality. um, And so, yeah, this is one classic example of that. But the thing is, we've been doing it for years. And especially if uh, you've been involved in church over the age, it's been quite a while, I'm pretty sure, that, that, that the car park miracle has existed. So the car park miracle, this is the, the situation where, you know, coming to church, um, where we, we sort of have a little bit of trouble getting out of the door, there's a bit of uh, frustration with the kids, maybe it's difficult getting momentum going. By the time you're in the car, there's a full-on sort of heated discussion taking place <laughs> and then you pull up in the car park and this miracle occurs as people walk from the car to entering church suddenly we're the model family <laughs> and everything is right and and we present ourselves as just all in really good relationship with each other because we're really good at hiding the reality and i reckon that's what's been so good about 1 Samuel for us this term. Uh, my goal this morning is sort of just to get an overview of 1 Samuel. We've gone through chapter by chapter, but just to, to see the, the big picture uh, and to really appreciate what God's been saying to us. And I reckon, see, 1 Samuel's got all these well-known stories. There's David and Goliath. There's the, the Ark and the Philistines. All these stories that you hear if you go to Sunday school when you're growing up. But when you go back and read them, you, you realise they're full of gritty reality. You realise that these people that you're reading about, there are no veneers, no, no covering over the blemishes. Eli, Saul, even David, they're very human personalities. And this is exactly what Israel needed. They held on to this record of 1 Samuel because this is what they needed to hear. Israel was a nation that had failed God. It it spent centuries being ruled by foreign countries, not being their own country, because God had given them a a relationship with him to live in, and they kept failing to do that. They kept not obeying God's word. And so what they needed was a message that that showed them a way forward with all the blemishes, a, a message that says there is hope, even in the midst of this failure, you can own it, and you can see a future and a hope beyond it. And I reckon that's what 1 Samuel's given us. I think there's three big truths that, that 1 Samuel has offered us that help us to live in that world. So I'm going to just run through those, and then we're going to apply them to our lives. The three big truths are, God rules by His Word, God rules through His King, and even when the King isn't in charge yet, He still rules. 
God rules by his word. God rules by his king. And even when he doesn't seem to be in charge, he is. How about I pray? And then we get into it. Heavenly Father, please help us to see these realities again in 1 Samuel, to see the big picture and to find encouragement to live in the messy reality of life and not to see the need to hide it and fake it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what we're doing, kids, we're not going to use you during the sermon. I hope you don't mind helping us out a bit. We're going to, each of these big points, we're going to do, have a little quiz moment. Jocelyn's going to come up, do a bit of a quiz. We're going to remind ourselves of some of the things we've learnt this term, and then I'll talk about it a bit. We'll do that three times. So Jocelyn's going to come up and do the first quiz. So we'll see what you've been learning um this term in the kids talks in church and also um, in our kids time together so the first question is I want you to put up your hand what was the name of the woman who prayed to God and asked for a baby Hannah yep okay and here's a bit of a trickier one I'll get my assistant here Um, what does Samuel's name mean Benaiah speak up Um, good try. No, it doesn't mean prophet. This is a bit of a tricky one. Chloe? A cry to the Lord. That is very close. Yep. It actually, yep. God provides. Oh, so close. Um, Chloe's, we'll give one to Chloe, ask for the Lord. It actually, does any of the grown-ups know what Samuel's name means? It actually means God heard me. Um, so Chloe's right, she asked, the, asked, cried out to the Lord, asked him, and Samuel's name means God heard me. That was a bit of a tricky one I threw in. Okay, what role did Samuel do? Benaiah. A prophet, yes. Yep, what were you going to say, something else? He had a few different roles. Yep. Priest. Yes, he did have a bit of a priestly role. Yep. He grew up with Eli the priest. Yep. Okay. And this question, how did God show the Philistines his power when they captured the Ark of God? Yep. He showed them lots of things. Yep. Josh? He kept on knocking over the statue. That's right. Um, the, the Philistines put their ark, put the ark of God in the temple of their idol god, and God kept knocking over the statues. What else did he do? Uh, Talia? Yeah, he made all the people really sick and sent a plague of rats. Yeah. So. God killed lots of the Philistines because they didn't honour him. Um, They thought that they could make the living God less than their idol gods and God proved them wrong. God showed that he is the one true God um, and, yeah, humiliated their idol and made them all sick. Okay, here's a bonus question. Um, Who can remember our first memory verse for the term? And I think this is probably the junior group. Um, Or did you guys have a memory verse too? It was the one about, I'll give you a hint, it's the one about being humble. Can anyone remember? Chloe? 
That's right. We'll give it. Yeah. God is against the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Um, so that was part of um, Hannah's prayer. Okay. Well, I'm going to hand back to Russell. We can see that God rules by his word. All right, so God rules by his word, and, and we're just being reminded by those little snippets. It's all through 1 Samuel, isn't it, that God is in charge. Um, God demonstrates it with the whole ark thing, where the ark gets taken off. Israel tried to manipulate God using the ark, but instead God lets them lose, goes off, defeats the Philistine gods on his own, defeats the Philistines on his own, brings the ark back on his own, because God is in charge. God rules. But the thing is, in 1 Samuel... Uh, as you're going through, you realize that this leadership, it, it's supposed to be something very conscious for Israel. Um, 1 Samuel 12, verse 11, when they're asking for a king, he says, Now hold on, I am your king. Uh, the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, and he, he, God, delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you so that you lived in safety. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, I forgot to put this verse up, um, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us even though the Lord your God was your king. God was Israel's king. He was in charge. And how he ruled them all through 1 Samuel is by his word. So the story begins where it's the boy Samuel and he's in the temple and what makes him qualified to be Israel's judge and ruler? Well, he listens to God's word. That's what makes him qualified. Um, He hears God's word in the temple. He learns to recognize that it's God speaking. And from that time on, uh, for this new moment in the history of Israel, God speaks through Samuel to them. And so then they know how to live. And that first word that God gave Samuel, what was it? It was a word of judgment on Eli's family for the way his sons were behaving. And that shaped the next couple of chapters with the whole Philistine and the ark thing. But even to chapter 21, Chapter 21, uh, Saul kills all the priests in Israel. Why? To fulfill the word that he'd said through Samuel back early on. God's word just keeps popping up and driving what's happening in this book. And of course, the obvious thing is, God says that Saul will be king. Says it long before they see his height and think he's a fantastic king. And then midway through the book, God declares that David will be king. And so everything that happens after that, even when Saul is trying to kill David, we know, no, God has said it will happen and it will happen. God rules and he rules by his word. Which is just a great reminder for us as we gather together on Sundays, but also in our home groups. Why do we get together to read the Bible together? It's because that's how God leads us. When we read it in the Bible, we know that shapes our life. It, it sets the agenda for who we are and what we're on about is God's word. Okay, God's word is where the action is, but at the same time, 1 Samuel says God rules by his king. This is quiz two, kids. Um, Quiz two. Okay, so Russell um, just gave a clue in what he said, so I hope you are listening. What did Saul look like? A king? Yep, what sort of thing? Why did everyone think he'd make a good king? He was strong and tall. Excellent. Well done. Okay, what sort of king was King Saul? Joseph? A bad one. That's exactly right. He didn't listen to God's word. 
He was a bad king. He didn't lead the people well. Okay, so God chose another king. What was his name and who did he fight? Um, up the back there. Did I hear someone at the back call out? What was the next king called? Oh, was it Matthias, was it? What did Matthias say? Goliath. Well done, Matthias. Okay, what was the king's name who fought Goliath? Does someone up the back know? Okay, Joe. <laughs> David, that's right. Oh, sorry, I didn't see you up the back. What were you going to say? David, I'm on for the girl up the back too. Okay. Another bonus question. Who can remember our second memory verse for the term? And this is the one that I did in church as well. Phoebe? Yep. Can you remember it? Maybe if I do the actions. Cade? That's it. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Boom, boom. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Okay, I'll hand back to Russ. All right, so God rules by his king. Um, the, the whole idea of God ruling by his word was nothing new. God did that in creation. He did it at Mount Sinai. 1 Samuel, suddenly there's, there's not just a particular place, there's a particular face to God leading his people. Um. And that is really significant. I, I remember, uh, one of the things, sorry, not I remember, one of the things I've noticed in getting older is suddenly you know people who are leaders in society. I don't know, maybe you grew up next to someone who's a state councillor or, or runs a business. I actually know the guy who owns Ascent Shoes. So if you shop at Athlete's Foot, they have um, a, a range of school shoes called Ascent um, and they're sort of sneakers in disguise. There we go, there we go. Um, so I remember I was in church with, and this guy arrived from Japan with this big dream about starting a business and selling shoes in Australia um, and they were going to be called Ascent Shoes. So if, if I go into a shop and I see Nike and I see Asics, they're just brand names to me. I see Ascent and I think of exactly the guy I could contact if I wanted a pair. That's what having a king does for Israel. Suddenly there's a man, when, when a nation comes to attack, there is someone who will lead us, someone who will fight our battles for us. Um, but it doesn't, having this, this king doesn't override the first required thing we learned, that, that God rules by his word. Because the whole issue, that the unfolding drama is that Saul is the wrong king because he won't obey God's word. So that um, key verse in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23 for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry because you have rejected, this is talking to Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Uh, God's word leads his people. God rules by his word and he rules by his king and that is the one and the same thing. They've got to be united together. You need the right king. Okay, third thing. How does this all help us with our failure? This is where we get to the fact that the king doesn't yet rule, and yet he does. So, third quiz, and then we'll get into this. Okay, so we've heard how Saul 
was a bad king and that David was going to be the next king. But before that happened, what did King Saul do to David? Um, What sorts of things did he do? Cade? Yeah, he threw a spear at him, that's right. And Talia? Yep, he chased him around and tried to kill David lots of times. Benaiah, did you want to add something? He got jealous because of the song. That's right. Because the people of Israel sang, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. Okay. Well, how did David treat King Saul? Yep. That's right. He treated him. Yep. That's right, he treated him as the king and he was respectful to him. So even though Saul was trying to kill him, he treated him as the king. What opportunities did David have? Can anyone remember? Yes? That's right. So David had the opportunity to kill Saul because Saul went in the cave to relieve himself and David had been hiding out in that cave. But instead of killing him, Saul, instead of killing Saul, David just cut off the edge of his robe. That's right, yep. Yep, yep. He also went into the camp, stole his water bottle and his spear while Saul was sleeping. Um, So he had another opportunity to do something bad to Saul, but he didn't because God trusted, sorry, David trusted in God and he knew that God would do the right thing and he wasn't going to harm the king that God had chosen. So, Okay, so what did God do for David throughout all of this? Joe? No, can't remember what you're going to (laughs) say. Cade? He helped him, that's right. God was always David's help. God rescued David multiple times and kept him safe. And ultimately, Saul was killed in battle, um, which led, made the way clear for David to become the next king. Well, we have a better king than Saul, and we have a better king even than King David. What's the name of the best king? Lincoln? Jesus, that's right. Jesus is the best king. I'll hand it over to Russ. Now, if you missed out on a lolly, do come and see me afterwards. I'm sure we can solve that problem. Okay, so God's king rules, but he doesn't. Really interesting thing in the structure of this book. There are 31 chapters, right? Chapter 16 is when we find out that David will become king, but it's not until chapter 31 that... Saul dies and his kingdom ends. That means there's like half the book, we're sitting there expecting David to rule. God's declared who his king's going to be, but, but he doesn't rule yet. And so we have this really interesting moment of discovering what that looks like for God's king to not yet rule. And we've been feeling it the last four weeks or something. We've been going through this section and it's all about suffering. It's, it's Saul chasing David. It's David living in outskirt places and you know, things work for David, but it's hard. It's a really hard period. But also during that period, while David doesn't rule, he does. Because the whole time, David is fighting God's battles. D- David defeats Goliath. 
that the greatest threat that has ever come against Israel, David defeats it. And then um, this army gathers around David, and it's not your typical army. Have a look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22. Uh, This describes this army that bands around David. Uh, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. It's this band of miscreants and misfits that God gathers together around David, and they grow from 400 to 600. Eventually, they're big enough to fill a town, Ziklag, their whole family and everything. David isn't king, and yet he has an army, and he starts fighting God's battles. He goes out, and he he protects towns that are being attacked by the Philistines. And then later on, he goes on raids, and he he takes the spoil from, from all of God's enemies. And eventually he even takes some of that spoil and sends it back to his people. And so the king doesn't rule, and yet he does. In this strange way, amidst this suffering, uh, God's king still rules. God rules by his word, God rules through his king, and even when he doesn't rule, somehow he still does. Okay, so how does that help us deal with failure? How does it it help Israel deal with failure? Let's um, move to us and ourselves. First of all, God rules by his word. We we hear that and immediately, I don't know about you, I'm reminded of my failure. I'm reminded that God says stuff, he he tells me how to live and I don't listen to him. Uh, Jesus spoke God's word to us and he told us that there was a day coming when God was going to judge the world. He had this story about the sheep and the goats. God was going to split up the world into sheep and goats. The sheep were the people who, who cared about God's people. The goats were those who didn't. And, and the sheep were going to be with God forever. The, the goats were not. They were facing judgment and hell. God says that and yet our society doesn't live like that's true. And often we don't. We have a real trouble a real problem with listening to God's word and living according to it but also God rules through his king there is this man who obeyed God consistently and his name was Jesus God does have a king who who has consistently obeyed him and he actually fought God's battle he defeated sin and death on the cross that king is now raised up to heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God and ruling. And so God does have a king. God rules this world through Jesus. And we live in this strange time that 1 Samuel helps us to understand. A time when the king doesn't rule and yet he does. We live at a time when it's not obvious in our society, in our world, that God is, Jesus is in charge. Lots of people ignore what he says. And yet in the background, Jesus is ruling. In fact, even more concretely than in in the story of 1 Samuel, because, because Jesus actually has taken the throne now, unlike David who hadn't received the throne. Jesus has taken the throne. The big theological word uh, that describes this moment in town is called inaugurated eschatology. Inaugurated eschatology. You can put that one into your diary and look it up some other time. But it's the now, not yet. Jesus rules the world now, and yet we don't yet 
experience that all that that is. What does that mean? It means that we can get together and be honest about our failures. But Jesus will continue to win, will continue to rule in our lives and in our world. Uh, Jesus is at work ruling in our lives. Uh, he's gathered this army, this, this gathering. We're very much like this army that Jesus gathered, sorry, David gathered around himself, a, a gathering of miscreants and misfits. That's us. Discontent, discontent with sin, in debt, knowing that we owe God some, so much that we actually deserve judgment, in distress. That's us. God gathers us together and then Jesus leads us to fight his battles. He fights his battle in our life with sin through his spirit and he changes us. So my experience coming to, to become a Christian. Before I became to Jesus, I knew there was areas of my life that needed to be changed. They were not under God's rule and I really struggled to do that. I would have times where I'd try and be a better person. I'd try and fix up my life only to find it all fall apart again. I just, much as I knew I should do the right thing, I didn't really want to. And then I met Jesus and I actually found my desires change. God, by His Spirit, started to change the things that I wanted in, in my life, the, the desires that I had. And so suddenly things that I used to struggle to say no to, I actually wanted to change in. Didn't mean it was always easy, but there was a shift in my heart as Jesus defeated sin. I think that's pretty amazing. The king does rule. Right now, he's changing and transforming lives in this church family. The, 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 the mission we have as a church is to live the gospel and give the gospel. And in living the gospel, that's Jesus winning battles in our own hearts and lives. But we also give the gospel because we know that Jesus can win the battle in our society, can't he? He has sent this gospel message that actually does change people and does bring them to know his hope and his love. And I've just been watching that happen in the lives of people in our church family, even in this year, and it's exciting. See people reconnecting to church and, and, and God doing real works in their lives. Um, seeing people invite friends along to Sure Hope and they hear about Jesus in weird stories like David and Goliath and they say, hey, I should live for him. It actually happens. Uh, Jesus, yes, he doesn't rule this world in that visible way yet, but he does rule. He is fighting his battles and he's winning people to himself. And he's doing that through us. So I just love 1 Samuel. I find it so encouraging. I don't need to come to church and be perfect. I can be a failure. But I can know that Jesus is on the throne and he is God's king who listens to his word. And he is at work. He is ruling my life even now. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, please continue to show us what it is to live in this now-not-yet period where Jesus isn't visibly ruling, but he is on the throne and he's changing and transforming lives through the gospel message. Please continue that work in each of our hearts. We bring to you those areas that we know are yet to be brought under Jesus' command, where we are disobeying him. We ask you really change us by your spirit, change our affections. And we pray, Heavenly Father, too, 
um, for those that we know, for, for our community that we live in, that the gospel message will transform lives there as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.